Hi, welcome to Clitterly Speaking, the podcast. I'm Michelle Doherty. And I'm Emily Lane. We are BFFs dedicated to bringing you conversations between girlfriends over a bottle of wine. Oh, I am so excited about the wine part. Oh, me too. So pull up a chair, grab your glass, and let's get talking. Hey, 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 Emily. Hello, Michelle. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you. You 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 had took a deep sigh before we launched into that hello. Oh, because I was thinking, am I gonna do the normal hey, 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 or am I just gonna try to do something else? And right. I just fell back on the normal. I like it. Okay, yeah. I'm glad. Yeah. I'm glad. Nobody's written in saying they want me to do anything different yet. So <laughs> no, I'm no. gonna take that as a positive. Good. Yeah. yeah. Well, so, welcome back. I know. Here we are at the studio. At, I know. Um, We're here on an atypical day for us, which is fabulous. I know, but it kind of throws things in a little um a different rhythm. A different rhythm. You know, trying to beat traffic to get to the studio to be mm-hmm. here on time is on a Friday happy hour. On a Friday afternoon. Yeah. Probably, you know, there's, yeah. We need to rethink that. I know. But hey, we are definitely making this a happy hour Friday here at Shock City Studios today. And we needed to be happy hour Friday. I know. Yeah. Absolutely. We have another amazing guest. I'm very excited. I've been looking forward to having I Michelle Minks on the on the uh, podcast here. Michelle Minks, which we may or may not call Michelle during this podcast. We may call her The Minks. We might call her Minxy. We might call her, you know, Michelle hey, Minks. Hey, you across the table. Hey, lovely woman. <laughs> I'm good with all of <laughs> Pay attention here. We're asking you questions. Yes. <laughs> which we won't have any problem with that. Yes. Michelle Minks is a very well-known name in the city of St. Louis. The region. And beyond, actually. You, you are a performer that's performed all around the world. Yes. Yes. And uh, somebody that uh, we were introduced to by Isabel Raymond, who was a, a guest of our show. A couple episodes ago, yeah. talked about pole dancing and talked mm-hmm. about the impact that Michelle has had on her life. And we're like, we definitely got to meet her. We got to meet Michelle. I adore Isabel. So I'm glad she <laughs> said something. And set this up for us to become yes. friends as well. So mm-hmm. welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Yeah. I'm really happy to be here. Good. Good. And we have a, looks like a fantastic bottle of, oh, uh, of yes. wine here, Emily. Yes, we do. So the wine merchant really took care of us on this one. Oh. Um, we are drinking white burgundy today. Well, that's a different one. Yeah, it's it's pretty exciting. Um, this producer is a very known, celebrated producer in Burgundy. Um, this is one of those bottles that outperforms. Um, yeah, I know you, you're already rolling your eyes. I can't wait no, to hear what No, my Annie eyes are not is. rolling. They are like expanding <laughs> with ecstasy. amazement and ecstasy. <laughs> wow. Yes, this is Mekon Mili Le Martin. It's a 2016. It's a wine that actually, you know, it's it's... At the wine merchant's $25, I would say it's pretty consistently in that $30 price point. It tastes very much like a burgundy that is in the normal $50 plus for a white burgundy. So I think this is a really great um, bargain. Well, a relative, a relative bargain because, yeah. you know, we do try to stay in the, the $15 range. So Jason yeah. really has taken care of us today. Yes. And if you are listening to the episode today and you love all the descriptions we have on this bottle of wine, feel free to email us mm-hmm. for a, a recommendation of a white burgundy that might come in at a little less mm-hmm. pricey per bottle if yeah. you don't want to treat yourself 
to this bottle, which you would do yourselves lots of favors if you treat yourself to this bottle. Yes, <laughs> I agree. Very, very good. Well, nice. you know, so let's talk about price for just a moment because I agree with you. Yeah. Like we love staying in that, you know, $15 price point, as do I personally. Like that's kind of, you know, my focus when I Because otherwise our drinking wine. gets expensive. It does. However, think about like when you go out and you buy a glass of wine at a wine bar or restaurant, it's going to be $10, $12, $13. There are four glasses of wine in this bottle. You know, so, you know, ordering yeah. two glasses of wine in a, in a restaurant plus tip is going to be more expensive than this bottle. Correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to. I can justify I'm, anything. You can justify it, and I, and I, and I I'm love to- your logic. On I'm totally there with you as well. I just don't want our listeners to feel priced out mm-hmm. if they're comfortable, because you know we're. I would have to say we're pretty much we're volume drinkers. We drink a lot of wine, <laughs> and if we continue to drink twenty five dollar bottle wines, we're going to price ourselves out of our habit, which means we're going to have to either slow down drinking wine. More on more like, you know, every three days instead of every day. Mm-hmm. That might be a little like it's a be a little pricey for us. So I, I mean, I'm, I'm just. Looking. I understand. Well, yeah. so we're drinking a treat today, and and we I, have a guest who's a treat too. That's right. So it so lines up quite nicely. Yeah. But um, there's a lot going on. You know, I, I as I'm sipping this, I'm getting more and more and more each time. So I'm looking forward to like letting this warm up a little bit. Um, to see what else comes out. But, you know, on the nose, I get green apple right away. I get, it's very, it's got a nice citrusy quality to it, some um, grapefruit, some grassiness. There's white flowers. Some, definitely getting a hint of butter on that. Um, and on the palate, I'm still getting some of those stone fruits, the like the peach, getting lime. I'm getting a really nice kind of white flowery, flinty and, and some flintiness like it's just really complex um i will have to agree with everything that you said one question you said you want this to warm up do you mm-hmm. typically drink a white burgundy chilled or room temperature i i'm liking it yeah i mean i i it's tend chilled right to, now everybody it is chilled <laughs> and i tend to think that like your refrigerator chills them just a little too much like just typically speaking, a good wine. I find I like it to I like it to not be quite room temperature, but just warm up a little bit, and more of those aromatics come out. You get a little more character on the palate too. So I tend to like my wines to, you know, be out of the refrigerator for a while. Oh, mm-hmm. I would I would I would expect that on your on your red wines, but uh, on the white wines, mm-hmm. I was thinking you know. Chilled is best, so I will enjoy this journey as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as this you know warms up, to see how much more I like it. Although I like it a lot because my glass is almost empty, and we've just started. So mm-hmm. either I'm really stressed. There's a tartness I really like about it. I agree with that, and yeah. I really like it's not sweet at I don't, all. Exactly. That's yeah. what I was going to say. Is I don't really like sweet wines. I like dry wines. But this is interesting because my wife likes them a little more sweet. So we rarely agree. Mm-hmm. But I feel like there's something about this that someone who does like a sweeter wine would still like this, even though it's not sweet. I'm in agreement. And I think it's because you get some of those really pretty, those stone fruits, like that peachiness um, is probably some of that character that she might like in a sweeter wine. Um, and then, you know, that's the pretty aromatics of the white flowers, you know, kind of gives you that in the nose that what you're looking for when you have. 
Yeah, well, we'll have to make sure that uh, we'll take a picture of this and you can, you know. Mm-hmm. Go see Jason go at the wine Jason. merchant. Absolutely. Yes. Say, hey, I, I drank That's this right. the other day. And you know you get 15% off oh, at the wine merchant no, when I you're didn't. like, oh, I heard about this. For life. On, <laughs> if on, you mentioned the yeah. podcast mm-hmm. so far for life, um, <laughs> you know, you can't walk in and like, you know, pull out the the $150 bottle because he knows we won't have drank that yeah. um, uh, as much as we would like to. We, we won't have drank that on the episode, but uh, definitely any of the wines that we, we feature. Have, we feature. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. And you get, the one you had with Isabel sounded really good by description. Oh, it was marvelous. I went yeah. back and bought like three more bottles in my house. Susa Minielo. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. See that one. I mean, I don't remember all of them, but for me to be like, oh, that was the Susa Maniello. Yeah, that was fantastic. <laughs> yeah. And so, any of our listeners, you know, if you visit our website, we do have our wines sorted by season, and you can see what we season and episode. And so, if you're looking for a good wine, mm-hmm. and you know, you can go to our website. Check it out. It's clitorallyspeakingpodcast.com. Check out the wines that we've featured. And you know our honest opinions are there. And you can go to the wine merchant. We do tell, like, where we got the wines from. And, um, you know, you know that you've got good recommendations right there on our website. So, yeah. yeah. I'm just going to go straight down the list now. I know. Started the first podcast and just. Absolutely. Yeah. You're going to binge listen and binge <laughs> drink at the same time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's, that, nice that's the sound. Nice. That's a, that's a true fan. Yeah. We appreciate that. You know, I'm going to make you president of the fan club now. <laughs> I'm in. All right. All right. Perfect. So um, Michelle, what are you what tasting? Are what are your thoughts? Wine? Yeah. Well, let me take another little quick sip. Mm-hmm. I think this is a a pair of white lace panties with little um, um, diamond and crystal Ooh. studs in it. Ooh, That's Michelle, what this makes me think Do you know where we of. can minxy? Do you know where we can pick up a pair of those? <laughs> yes. I see. Um, especially if you're keeping a budget, Yandy.com has very inexpensive, really? very lacy, very sexy panties. Uh, at very low cost. And then I generally spend more on the rhinestones than I spend on the panties. Uh, yeah. And uh, you can buy those in bulk. And then you can do them yourself while you get through a bottle. Oh. But you can just customize your panties. Absolutely. Um, the yeah. only way to do it. So that's what I'm seeing here. You know, it's it's an elegant sparkly, but it's not a sparkly mine. Right. But it makes me think of like sparkly panties. Yeah, I am. I'm going to go see if I can find that pair because that sounds lovely. Make, make them our own. Yeah. Maybe a cream Ooh. A cream color, mm-hmm. like a champagne color, is what I, I really rose gold, a light rose gold. I love that champagne pink rose gold. It's like one of my favorite Me colors. Too. Me too. I just got some great shoes in that shade. Mm. I'm building an entire costume just so I have something to wear the shoes with. So, oh, <laughs> what a great, goodness. what a great use of um, <laughs> of your time and <laughs> yes, uh, efforts. Um, well, Michelle. I am so thrilled that you're here with us today and that you have, uh, we had such a wonderful conversation at the tea room here in town and uh, I wished we had been recording it I know. then yeah. um, because just hearing your, hearing your story, your focus, um, what you, what you work on, what you, what you provide other women, what you provide our community is just fantastic. Um, but I was hoping for, before we get into everything about your background, could we talk a little bit about what happened, what just happened? yesterday the reason in why Alabama we need to drink. Uh, yeah. uh, and uh, Missouri and why 
I'm probably more on edge than I oh, normally would be. Absolutely. Why you needed yes. that deep sigh before we started. Yeah. I'm down for that. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's, let's just, I mean, I have lots of lots to say, but I'd like to hear from other people first. <laughs> well, okay. Yeah. So with the, um, what do we, yeah, with the new legislation. The, the anti-abortion, anti-women yeah. legislation that is sweeping the yes. the Republican-led legislatures across the so U.S. I just I feel more and more like 1984 is becoming a reality. The you or know the handmaid's tale. Or the handmaid's tale. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's just really um, yeah our. I don't know. I, I find it to be quite terrifying. And I, you know, I've seen there are various um, commentaries throughout literature and entertainment that have addressed these issues of, you know, losing rights um, across the board, you know, and, um, and uh, you know, being controlled by propaganda and government and, and so forth. And, you know, Brave New World being one of those great commentaries. Um, and as you mentioned, The, the Handmaid's Tale. You know, and I just, oh, I, you know, I think that there's even like silly storytellers out there like the movie Idiocracy, you know, which, which quite frankly, I also Should feel. Should be satire, but kind of isn't. It isn't. It's extremely terrifying to me how every day I feel that that is becoming more and more a reality. You know, we've got the the president that is the, um, the, um, TV celebrity, yeah, the TV celebrity. We've got, mm-hmm. you know, the a true kind of dumbing down of our society An within our education, predator. right? Yes. Right. I mean, just um, so you know, this one issue to me, I'm frustrated about this one issue, but it also brings to light just from a social standpoint, we're slipping backwards. And it's just uh, on a lot of levels. Well, you you yes. brought up this uh, when you uh, that this conversation and the literature and the examples mm-hmm. and like losing rights. Um, it it made me think of the fact that it isn't an out, out and out what they're saying. You can't do it. You just can't. You know they're they're not going to say we're taking this right away from you. They're not going to be that blatant and say it that easy. We're not going to take this from you. They're just going to make it very very difficult to have access, to take advantage of, to to have choice. And it's similar to, and and this could be like the wrong conflation, but it's similar to even like uh, um, the Voting Rights Act and giving, you know, the African-Americans the right to vote. And they haven't taken it away, but they sure are making it difficult yeah. mm-hmm. to vote, mm-hmm. right? Because they're not going to say, oh, we're going to take this right away from you because then, then people will be all up in arms. But we're going to make – you have to have an ID. We're going to change your polling place. We're going to change mm-hmm. this. We're going to change or that. Or make the only polling place 40 miles out away. of town. Yeah. Inaccessible to public transit. Right. Right. I mean, we could even talk about the drug laws if we want to go there, too. You know, just how um, how. You know, let's think about um, cocaine versus heroin and and, you know, some of these drugs like, okay, so if you're rich and you can afford cocaine versus some of the chipper drugs that um, are, you know, the people who are poor, that's that's the drug of choice. And then, 
you know, and then the various outcomes, if you're caught with that, of, you know, the slap on the wrist versus actual imprisonment. And, you know, the... the and the disproportionate numbers of black men in prison. Exactly, in because prison. of these drug issues, which, you know, I mean, it's just... And you're going and legalizing it, right? Mm-hmm. Legalizing marijuana. What, what happens to all that. of the people that are in prison that, right. for a marijuana offense? Right. Or does that, if that's what they're in for, they, they should, should be, be let out. Yes. Mm-hmm. But is that going to happen? Has that even been part of the conversation? I, I apologize to my listeners a, that I don't know. I'm seeing part of the conversation. I would like to see it as a bigger part of the conversation. I mean, it should be a, it should be a, a no-brainer. Yeah, you know? absolutely. But there's so many private interests with prisons anymore. Oh that, um, you know, going up that battle. And that's a whole other disgusting. I know. Disgusting discussion. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I yeah. know. Yes. It's, this is just one of these. Well, because people yeah. are going to be here for a few I know. days. I How hope many you bottles more of wine, wine do we have? Well, and the thing is, is that as long as, as long as people can make a profit off of others being poor, there's no incentive for us to elevate everyone. because, right, because there are, their wives and mistresses will always have access to abortion because they'll be able to pay their doctor friends to do it. Right. right. Absolutely. Or, Hop on a jet, go somewhere, whatever. You and know. hide it from do the it, world. Do it, do it behind right. closed their doors. Hypocrisy. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. And yet they're not even going to try to take care of the children that we already have. Oh, no. Or, oh, you no, know, or the children when they're born. No, they don't. I, I and that's loved... the most infuriating. Well, I there's loved... many. There, I can't yeah. say that what that is the most, but it is one of the most infuriating things about all of this. I loved what you shared the, yesterday about, you know, immigrant children have heartbeats also. Migrant children have heartbeats. Yes. yes. You know, I, um, you know, I mean, and, and, and imprisoning women for an abortion or imprisoning doctors for 99 years uh, when they're, you know, helping to save a, a life or a 12-year-old who has been raped by her father, her uncle, and now has to carry that child to term. But we're going we're gonna to imprison those those health professionals, yet, you know, somebody like a pharmaceutical drug maker can crank up the the uh, a prescription 4,000%. Eh. What about That's the rapist? Just business. Or the rapist. What are we going to do about the rapist? Well, and what rapists? Right. Oh, it's consensual rape, right? Uh, yeah. I think that was... Right. Well, and as, <laughs> as Todd right. Aiken said here today. in the great state of Missouri is like, you know, women's bodies know how to shut it down if it's a legitimate rape. So obviously you're not going to get pregnant if it's a legitimate rape. I mean, we, we went through that in um, 2008, I believe, when yeah. uh, Claire McCaskill ran for her first term. I, oh, so... so it, Oh, but he didn't, yeah. According to that theory, so we can shut it down and it's rape, but look at all the women who've been trying to get pregnant who can't. So, you know, to think that we have that much control over our well conception is um, right. really misinformed, you know, that, and that's terrifying in itself that people are making these big decisions that actually do not understand how, the re- how human works. body. Like how, there's one. Yeah. There's one uh, legislator. I think he might be in Georgia or it might be Alabama, who said that you can actually remove the ectopic pregnancy from the fallopian tube and reimplant it in the uterus. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, because it's just a matter of moving it from one spot to the next spot. Really. <laughs> I mean, that's that's how it works, right? Super easy. Super easy. I also read that one of them said that rape kits were to clean you out after rape, so it's fine. Oh, my God. Oh. Yeah. Well, then even more insidious with the Alabama <laughs> law is that um, tied, you know, tacked on at the end is, um, and I can't believe a woman 
signed it, but I whatever, know that is that is um, was that if a woman accuses a man of rape and they, they find out that he, you know he's cleared of the charges, she goes to jail for making a false police report. But is how can if she accuses him, that doesn't necessarily mean it's false. I mean, right. if, if if the jury finds him not guilty, that's the jury. But right. she would go to jail. The horrible thing about rape and going going to trial, a huge percentage of rape cases don't even make it to trial because they are so hard to prove. Mm-hmm. Because if the predator admits to having sex but says that it was consensual, then it becomes he said, she said. And there's no way to prove it after that. Mm-hmm. And that is what is the most horrible thing. So, and that's just, that's a huge, huge problem that we need to get past and figure out a way to do something about it. Women need to be believed and others who are raped need to be believed. Mm-hmm. And while we're on the subject of rape, I do want to talk about the ban on abortions mm-hmm. and all of the talk about even how horrible it is that it's even in, even in cases of incest and rape. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm really... I don't understand that whole way of thinking. Abortion needs to be accessible and safe and legal and affordable for everyone that needs one and wants one, regardless of how it happened, one. Mm-hmm. Two, to allow it in cases of rape, you have to actually believe people when they tell that you they, they're raped. Right. Mm-hmm. And even if you believe them, and even if that rape goes to trial, that embryo is going to be a toddler by the time you get a guilty verdict. So how is that even yeah. enforced? Right. There's no way to enforce that. You could possibly enforce incest in chil- with children, yeah. with yeah. child children who are pregnant. Yeah. But victims of rape, they're not—what, you just go to the abortion clinic and say, I was raped, and then right. they'll give you an abortion, but they won't give you one if you don't say that? Right. Well, as long as it's that within eight weeks here in Missouri, you know, like how many of us, how many women actually realize that they're they pregnant until don't. you're like, oh, because when you go the first time to see the doctor, if you if you're paying attention to your cycle, right, and you pee on the pee on the test at home, they are they automatically put you at six weeks because you're not going to show pregnancy on the tests until six weeks, right. and so. How many of us are lucky That's enough? That's just their sneaky way of yes, outlawing it entirely. Exactly. Without taking it away from you, you know? Right. We're not going to take entirely. the right away. We're just going to make They're it really difficult. They're also pitting morality against each other, too, saying that they still are deciding. They mm-hmm. still should not get to decide, oh, well, I guess since I think it's okay in these cases, then we'll allow it. Well, They're it, still the ones allowing it. No. And it's, it's about— It's not up to them. It's about— you know, the right to privacy and the right to determination of what you want to do with your body. And Roe v. Wade mm-hmm. protects people on whatever size family they want to have. If there is a family of evangelicals that want to have 10 kids, they can have 10 kids. And Roe v. Wade gives them that ability to have 10 kids because it keeps the state from coming in and deciding, who you've already had four. Yep, it's time to cap right. you out. We're, 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 we're going to say the no more for you. Yes, or, people for choice are just as against forced abortion as they are against forced pregnancy. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. And I don't think people realize that Roe v. Wade protects all of us. It protects— Again, it's a lack of education. It really is. A lack of a really understanding. Right, because it's easy for us just to read the little headline or the, the little picture, you know, on Instagram or Facebook. Newspeak, everyone, 1984, yeah. propaganda, like, it's controlling us. Yeah. I will say that something that's been really wonderful for me to see are women in my feed who 
are going through pregnancies or have gone through miscarriages and are currently trying to get pregnant and these heart-wrenching tales of them deciding whether or not to have a medical abortion because of ectopic pregnancies Mm -hmm. and how hard that decision is and then speaking on when they made the choice to go through with the pregnancy, even though they had previously made three appointments for an abortion, they felt in their heart that wasn't right for them Mm -hmm. and but they were terrified because they were bringing a baby into an abusive relationship they were trying to get out of and how Mm -hmm. hard it was for them to have that baby and get away from their abuser and how much they respect and want women to all women to have the choice right that Mm -hmm. they don't have a right to tell us what to do on the worst days of our lives no one wants to have an abortion right no No. one's like oh guys you want to go have abortions after this yeah it's time to put another slash down right right whoo i had unprotected sex last night (laughs) right meet me at the abortion clinic that's not what you do right so i'm loving seeing these women that people would assume I think a lot of people do assume that they're anti-choice or yeah. just pro-life because they've chosen to have babies, um, but they're not. That's mm-hmm. not what that means. We still—I want every woman to be able to have a child if they want one. I want every person to be able to have an abortion if they need one. Have the size family that you want. If you want one kid, two kids, five kids, no kids, it's up to you. It's not up to the state. Right. And how how the, the impregnation happens is not— a justification for the state either. It's really interesting to me how much they don't want the government in their lives making decisions for them when it comes to things like guns. Oh, which yeah. I'm not oh, even going to speak yeah. on that. But but when it comes to my rights as a woman to have an abortion or my rights as a woman to marry my wife, right. then mm-hmm. they want to be all up in our business about it. They want to control everything. Or to be paid the same amount as, as the male counterpart in the same job. Right. They want to control all of that. And they just don't want us controlling anything they do. Well, right. And they will still, like I was mentioning before the podcast, you know, why why do I live in this state, pay taxes in this state of Missouri, and they gladly take my taxes, yeah. my income taxes, my property taxes. But your voice doesn't and matter. Then, but they will, they're yeah. eroding my rights. Mm-hmm. They're not going to pay me the same as a man, and they're not going to take away my rights, but they're going to tax me as if I am a full-fledged 100% equal. Mm-hmm. And that pisses me off. It's like, <sighs> why? Why do, why do we stay? And where can I go? Because you know, I'll do clearly speaking from a <laughs> boat in the middle of like you know anywhere in the world uncharted waters or something. You know? you know, I know that you know we already talked about the fact that regardless of how pregnancy happens, um, you know this should be accessible. Um, but I still want to address some other issues that I think are are really poignant. You know. Um, Missouri is what in the top six, if not higher, for sex trafficking, mm-hmm. right? You know what? What about all those women? <laughs> oh, that doesn't you matter. Know? If they're pregnant, they'd have to. Ca- if they don't get abortion before eight weeks, they have to carry that to term if, as the as it's currently forced pregnancy. Right. Yeah. So here we are. You know, we're making messy decisions about the future of women who we've, you know, who have very unfortunate circumstances. That what is being done to address that problem? Oh, they don't care about that. No, really. no. The, and also a major issue that I encounter in my personal life around the women that I'm all around is trying to find a way to end sex trafficking while supporting sex work by choice is very hard. I a bet. lot of the mm-hmm. things that end sex trafficking are detrimental to sex workers who are doing it by choice. 
And we all need to be working together to make it safer and legal for sex workers to do their jobs safely. Right. While ending sex trafficking for people who are being well, that goes hand in hand daily, don't you think? By I mean, I, not you would hand think in that hand, it would. but it would certainly help. But a lot of times, right? it isn't talked about. A lot of times, when people are talking about sex trafficking, they're not talking about sex work by choice, right? No, well, no, they're not because sex- they, because they don't believe that anyone does sex work by choice. They believe that everyone's a victim. That it's a, that they're the, through unfortunate and circumstances that they they are led there, and that's how they have to make their life on the streets. Right. And that's not the case either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I I don't and um, pretend to live in a Pollyanna kind of world, but if you thought if you could have legalized brothels, houses of sex work, you know, in our communities, I think there would be like a lot lot happier people walking around because they know they could oh, go absolutely. get they, they could pay for their release it's not shameful it's not something to be embarrassed you don't have to do it and you don't have to find somebody they on might Craigslist and drugging women right? you know and that's true and I, I really I really feel like a huge link in this chain for stopping sex trafficking is making it more acceptable to do sex work and to go to sex workers yeah. because I think that the people who frequent sex workers, I mean, the majority of them are men, and Mm -hmm. I believe that the majority of them do not want to be going to someone who is sex trafficked either. They would be horrified if they thought the person that they were going to and paying sex for were being trafficked against their will. Mm -hmm. And I think if they could be a nice way in to start to figure that out Mm -hmm. and help us end that, it has to come from the inside somehow. Otherwise, we just have these people who don't really know anything about it making broad speculation. Mm-hmm. And Sesta Fosta, which was supposed to really help sex tra- help end sex trafficking by taking down Craigslist personals and all of those things, is actually endangering sex workers. Uh, uh, yeah. Because right. that was the internet is a safer way for them to vet their clients. Mm-hmm. And taking that away puts them in danger again more, mm-hmm. more so than they were even before. I think there's there's so many levels and you know I I've, I don't know if we need to have like, you know, sanctuary cities for women um, like we do. For, I'm down with that. You know, yeah. could, could we could could um, we make St. Louis a sanctuary city and rewrite our laws in, in Missouri or in St. Louis to like allow, you know, um, uh, sex workers, you know, uh, legalize it? Um, why not? You know, if they're going to be so extreme. Why do we have to not be extreme? Well, and this, again, is about choice. Yeah. Choice of what we do with our own bodies. Right. And typically, most sex workers are female, and that's a, a profession that women can make money at. Right. Set the and rates. It's something. It's one thing you can sell and over and over again and never yeah. run out of. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Set the prices. Set the demand. And um and go for there. But no, um they don't. They don't legalize it. And they instead it it ends up being in the and um. A, a much more dangerous field. Right. And it it being illegal is what makes it even more dangerous. It makes trafficking even easier for them to get away with because it's all underground. It's all shamed. Right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So if we had, if we had legal, if we had legal sex work, then people would know who is being trafficked and who isn't because it's anyone who's not working legally. I just wonder where in our society's civilization's um, history and development, and I use that word in quotes, development, where the human body and the act of sex, the sexual act, became such 
something to be afraid of and to run away from. I mean, there's. I think a lot I don't of these. Think they're well, afraid of it. I think it's no, more no. control over uh, women. Well, I mean. But a lot they, of religions have been right. Why? You right. Know, we all we all do it. We all like it. Mostly, we like it. Um, you know, if you're, and and when you when we have attached such stigma to the fact that you do this by choice or or um, um, through work, if you're doing it for any other reason but procreation, you must be the the worst immoral person in the world. Mm-hmm. And where did where did that switch happen? You know, well, because if we aren't shamed for it, it gives us power. Right. Right. And they can't, they're they can't so afraid of power. women having power. Right. And that blows my mind because I think they think we're going to do the exact same and thing to them. And lots of men too, also, especially um, gay sex workers. There's you know, a lot of that too mm-hmm. that are generally frequented by straight, straight men. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know. I I was telling a friend of mine um, about another friend who is who is um, uh, gay, and he was saying about the number of straight straight guys, and that's in, in that's quotes in quotes. <laughs> how like they'll hook up with him, and the whole time they're the straight the straight guys giving him a blowjob. He's mm-hmm. they're saying I'm straight, I'm straight right. while they're while they're sucking on his cock. It's like it's like yeah. I mean that's what I find interesting too is they usually pay to do it, not to have it done. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And I mean, he's like, I don't get it, you know. And I thought, well, in today's day and age, you would think that it would be easier to say, I'm gay. But right. but apparently in a whole or segment. Or just bisexual. I was just you're bisexual. Say, you so know. you're heteroromantic and you're in love with your wife and you're married and you're happy. But sexually, you like, you like little... to give a blowjob every now and then. Yeah. Big deal. Mm-hmm. So what? Yeah. Why do you have to hide it? Just go pay that nice man <laughs> what he right. deserves. Right. And stop lying about it. And stop lying <laughs> about it. And I think that's it. You know, there's just so much. And um, and as women, with this onslaught of um, attacks, because, you know, they want this to go to the Supreme Court and with, the, you know, Kavanaugh and Gorsuch oh, being appointed by that person who resides in our White House um, and the Republican legislate, uh, Republican senators, they want them to overturn Roe v. Wade. And so I was listening to— um, What's the likelihood of that happening is my question. Well, there's lots of people with opinions out there. Yeah. And one of the opinions is is that the Supreme Court won't touch this with a 10-foot pole. They'll just—they'll refuse to hear it. They'll let the lower courts overturn these laws and refuse to hear it. But, you know, we didn't think Trump would get elected either. So it's, you have yeah. to have, like— a plan B, if you will. And Especially since he lost by like 2 million votes. Three, three million fine. votes. Oh, three yeah, million. 3 million oh, votes. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they, uh, they, there was a, a woman on, I think it was the Center for Reproductive uh, Rights, I believe is the name of it. And she was on um, MSNBC the other day, yesterday, obvious. Um, and she said that they are, we, that we're not going back, but we, but we are devising should Roe v. Wade be eliminated? Because right now that that is a that is a federal law and it protects all of us. But if it does go away, they they are mobilizing and figuring out how how to work at the state level, state constitutional levels, um, much like Kansas um, has has um, has protected abortion in their state. So so I feel I I feel like I still need to be vigilant. I still need to care. I still need to talk about it and and be active in it. But I. I have a little bit of assurance that there are some really smart women out there. I just got added to a wonderful group today on Facebook. And I mean, this organized rage is really wonderful that I'm seeing around me and all the women around me and men 
who are doing great things to try and end all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, Planned Parenthood is really going at it again with all their resources that they can. Somebody dropped off a ton of um, literature from Planned Parenthood and cards with their hours and their locations and baggies with condoms for the festival so that I could give it Mm -hmm. to the Show Me Burlesque Festival that's going on this weekend so that we could hand them out to people and make sure everyone knows. There's also the Gateway Women's Access Fund. I'm not sure if you know about that. I have not Mm -hmm. heard of it. But uh, it's a nonprofit organization that helps women who cannot afford abortions get them. Mm -hmm. So they fund abortions for people who need them. For the people that aren't dating Mm -hmm. a legislator or a billionaire who can still afford to pay for the abortions. Right. Yes, exactly. And then the Hope Clinic in Illinois. Um, I live in Illinois, so I'm so grateful for that because every night when I drive home from my studio, which is in (laughs) St. Louis, Mm -hmm. there's the billboard that says, Welcome to Illinois, where you can still get a safe and legal abortion. Yeah. And there's another one from the Hope Clinic that says, Where there's choice, there's hope. Yes. And... So at least we have that. That billboard is actually up. Oh yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, will it's you take on Poplar a picture Street of that and share it with us. Yes, I will have to do that when I am in the passenger seat. No problem. Yeah, <laughs> I don't I want you to be like. It. I will. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, well, I don't know. You are a pretty amazing pole dancer and have lots of acrobatic skills. You were telling me you can't take a picture <laughs> of a billboard while you're driving on sixty four. I don't 64. think my mom would approve that. <laughs> <laughs> Nor would we. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, I mean, if you chose to. <laughs> I could do you it. You could I totally could do, do it. it. Yeah, but you're going to. But be, I don't have to prove that. Exactly. You're going <laughs> to err on the side of caution and safety um, because there's probably a law against it <laughs> for women doing yeah, that. Just for women. <laughs> Only for women. Right. Only for, women. <laughs> Only for li- women going east on the highway, not coming west on the highway. Yes, because they're already threatened that I live in Illinois. So yeah, yeah. I have more rights. Well, I think this would be a great time to take a brief pause because, um, yeah, we are we are thirsty and empty and, um, you know, on to a good conversation. So let's refresh and be right back. back. Thank you for letting us refresh our glasses so that we can, you know, this is fantastic don't wine. dry it out. It's really yeah. great. Oh, fabulous. Really good. So, so uh, Michelle, I, Minxie. Minx. <laughs> the Minx. The Minx. <laughs> I was thinking a lot about um, your, having you on the show today, and I wanted to talk to you about, like, your beginnings in the, you know, in the pole experience and how you, um, how you have take, you know, started your humble beginnings that they always say, <laughs> and, you know, usually like, creating an empire. Yeah. To, yeah. Creating in an a community. I mean, it's beyond an empire. You have a community. And, and in light of like our prior conversation today, you know, it's edgy. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's about sex and it's about the body and it's about, you know, loving and flaunting it and 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 the power that comes and from that soul seduction mm-hmm. and soul seduction yes, so absolutely. but i i would i have to i'm going to venture out there and say this hasn't been like you know there's probably been some bumps in the road you know to get to where you are now and um and then the other thought is are you concerned at all 
with the craziness in the legislator, legislatures that would impact negatively the progress that you guys have made in yeah. the poll community. Those are probably like yeah, the, easy to take us down anytime soon. Okay. No. Okay. Um, if anything, I am really grateful that I have followed my heart my whole life on where I want to be and who I want to be and who I want to surround myself with and what I want to do. And this has inadvertently given me a platform. And I know that there are so many women that work jobs, work for corporations, that forces them into silence about these topics. Mm. And they're afraid to talk publicly about different things from sexuality to abortion to women's rights to race relations to all of the so-called edgy topics in our world. And I can do what I want. I can say what I want. Mm-hmm. I can be as loud as I want about it. And it's not going to hurt my job yeah. because I right. am my job. Right. And I'm not worried about that. So I will use this as much as I can to speak for other people who don't have that in their lives, who have to be mm-hmm. afraid of losing their jobs. Uh, that's my plan is yeah. to keep doing what I want to do and being loud about it when I need to be loud about it for others and myself. Have you found in um, in your experience when, you've, when women have come sought out pole dancing at, we were at a, a function last weekend and she's a listener of the show and she she had listened to the, uh, the episode with Isabel Raymond and she stops me and she goes, I want to pole dance now. And I'm like, well, <laughs> you can go down to Michelle Minx's studio and get started, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. because she's a dancer and she was like, but you know, she's doing some other stuff. She goes, but I really want to pole dance. It's almost like listening to our podcast, mm-hmm. which is our platform, uh, has kind of given up women permission to do things they might not have thought uh-huh. about doing. Um, but have you found when women have come to you, like you, I mean, you know you, the transformation in yourself, but mm-hmm. you do see like like transformations in. Oh yes, you know it's really interesting because my story is so different from the stories of my students. Even though we're all one and the same in a lot of ways, my story is really different because when I started pole dancing. Um, well, I worked in the strip club and I went, I mean, at 16, well, I mean, I started babysitting before that. Right. Yeah. I grew up in a family with not a lot of money at all and knew from a young age that I was going to have to work, make money if I needed money. And I mean, the first thing I did to make money was waitress my family's Irish poker parties because <laughs> someone asked me for a beer and they gave me a dime when I came back and I went and found the fanciest tray I could find and started serving. You were an early entrepreneur. Yes. Yeah. And and then babysitting and then working in a restaurant and making tips. And I knew then that I wanted to work a job where I could make tips because I that gave me some control over how much money I was making. Mm-hmm. You know, you weren't sitting next to someone making the same amount as you or more, or more in too many cases. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And not being rewarded for hard work. Right. I knew that getting tip jobs, I could be rewarded for hard work. It was up to me. The harder I worked and the better I was at it, the more money I was going to make. Yeah. And so um, I waited outside of a strip club to for midnight to turn 18. And I walked in the minute, the literal minute (laughs) that I turned 18 years old and applied for a waitressing job. Okay. A cocktail waitressing job. I actually did want to dance at that time. I loved to dance my entire life. I never had formal training. That's back to the money thing. Right. Uh, but it's all I ever did in my spare time, cl- that and climbing trees and tumbling in the backyard. So and this, oh, is this is natural just a natural fit. Totally. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think I've said this to people who've called me and asked about pole dancing before. If so many of us were little girls that loved dresses but 
always were also playing in the dirt and climbing trees. Mm-hmm. And if you're a tomboy that likes pretty clothes, mm-hmm. pole dancing's perfect. Yeah. If you were climbing all over things, pole dancing's perfect. And then, it's, I mean, it's perfect for a lot of different types of women and men. I teach all genders and um, also non-binary people. Everyone is welcome. But I just... Where I lost it. No, Where that's fine. No. You, you said you're, you're you waited right outside of the, yes. at the strip club to, to turn eighteen, eighteen yes. because you loved to dance. You wanted to strip. You wanted to be a dancer at that point in time, but you started out as yes. the cocktail waitress because I did want to dance. But I also was smart enough to know how naive I was actually, mm. and I had no idea how that business really worked, what it really entailed, what was really expected of you. All yeah. I knew was what I'd seen on Flashdance. Uh-huh. Aging myself, yeah. <laughs> and uh, what is the other one? Strip tease or oh sure, showgirls, oh, showgirls, yeah, right. And I knew that probably wasn't completely accurate, and so I did. I started. I got the job. I started cocktail waitressing. I loved it. I watched all the dancers, and in the strip club, a lot of people don't always know this, but the you don't really make the majority of your money on stage. You make oh. your money hustling for lap dances. And so I watched the women that I love to watch dance on stage. I saw the things that they were doing on stage and, you know, decided what I'd be comfortable doing and what I thought I could do and what I didn't think I could do. And then I also watched the women at the at the tables. I mean, they all do all the jobs, but some people are very good at hustling Mm -hmm. and sitting at the tables. And we call it a silver tongue, you know, knowing knowing the right thing to say. And and then also watching them give lap dances because I would have no idea how to do that otherwise. At 18, right. right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're a good cocktail waitress for the Irish poker parties, but that's right. not training for not a lap same. dance, which and we're glad. We're right. glad yes. that that, yeah, that wasn't 10, your training no, no, at no. 10. Yeah. <laughs> so I did that for, I'd say, about a year. So let me ask you this. How was the reception from your family, your mom, dad, siblings? Hey, I'm working at the strip club now. I'm a, I'm a waitress. I mean, was that like, okay, glad you're working or like, oh. I mean, uh, my mom was a little worried, I think, just for safety issues. Yeah. But I'm very strong-willed. I bet you couldn't. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was hoping we could help bring her out more. Yeah. We're- uh, so once you talk to me about it, if I have my, if I have my mindset on something, yeah. I'm doing it. No yeah. one's going to stop me from doing something. Okay. So she did talk to me about it. Um, and then uh, I didn't really... I don't really care what other people think. Mm-hmm. It really didn't affect and, me too much. They were, weren't paying my bills. Yeah. I was in college, yeah. which no one was helping me pay for, including my dad. So he doesn't have a say. Right. Um, so I didn't really care about that. I do care what my mom thinks of me. And she's amazing. She's an amazing, incredible woman. And she knows me and she knows my heart. Right. So she didn't have a problem with it. And then it was about maybe I kind of... It was a very small club, so there would only be maybe four or five dancers working at a night sometimes. And when they were short on dancers, they started asking me if I wanted to get up there. Okay. And I was cocktailing. So for a little while there, I was kind of in between. Yeah. And I was cocktailing and then going up for my set and cocktailing. And was and that like an set. invigorating experience for you when you would do that and you would get on stage? Oh, I love dancing. Yeah, you kind of felt like, ooh, here I am. Yeah, actually, yeah. funny story. The very first time I went on stage, and these, and you know, in this area, we don't actually have strip clubs in St. Louis. 
No, they're all they're across Illinois. the East River in Illinois. Yeah, yeah. because we, are, we can do what we want. We are, we are, so, <laughs> we are so morally superior here right, in exactly. Missouri. And it's really kind of interesting because I grew up in East St. Louis. I went to grade school in Washington Park. Wow. And I thought, and that's where the clubs are. And it, I look back and I think, that is the only source of revenue for a lot of those little, very economically deprived towns and are the strip clubs, which is why they're there and why they're allowed to have full nudity and a full bar. There are very few places in the country that have full nudity with a full bar. A lot of times uh, juice, they have juice bars if there's full nudity or you have to keep things covered. If I'm from Peoria, Illinois. Booze. Home of Big Al's, which I used to travel, you know, quite a bit. And I'm telling you what. Everywhere I traveled and somebody would be like, oh, you're from Peoria. Do you know Big Al's? Like everybody's. That is another one of those places that allows it all. Okay. Yeah. Which is, you know. There's just little pockets places. Well, it's interesting that you you say that there was full bar as well as full nudity because we were talking to another friend Mm -hmm. who who goes to Rainbow. And she said that one of the rules is is that there's no alcohol because when men drink— They get aggressive, and there's a lot of nudity that happens right. at Rainbow. So it's a big risk when a when a club takes on or allows full nudity as well but as alcohol. But there's security, right? Uh, yeah, that's yeah. what I was going to say. Honestly, in my entire adult life, I felt the safest at the strip club okay. so far to this Let's moment. Let's knock on the wood, yeah. As far as that goes. I mean, there have been other things. Like, yeah. I've been mugged before, so that's a different thing. But as far as, like, being in a club— where there are men drinking and getting aggressive mm-hmm. and um, possibly drugging your drink, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt the safest at the strip club. I was always walked to my car. I, mm-hmm. They were very protective of me. So I didn't— Well, you guys really, are assets to them. Right. Yeah. Right. And I'm not going to say it's perfect. I don't yeah. want to paint that picture either. Yeah. It's not the perfect job. But I, for the most part, really loved—I loved my time dancing. I did it for about over 15 years— with oh, no a, breaks. Yeah, that's a long time. Uh, which is a very long time. There are only a couple people in my life that I know who did it as long as I did. Mm-hmm. I ended up really loving it. And there was some crossover there when I started doing burlesque and started Gravity Place Favorites with my friend Katrina Dahl, my dance partner. Uh, that's a whole, that's another segment yeah. of my yeah. life. Yeah. Um, but the very first time that I went on stage in the club, I was 19. Um, I was really nervous, but I knew I wanted to do it. And my little boyfriend from like third grade was in there with his cousin, who I also knew from my Catholic grade school, went to Catholic school my whole life until the last two years of high school. And, uh, and I thought, okay, if I, in the, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And the bartender was offering me booze, even though it's not legal until you're 21, but they were off, asked me if I wanted to do a shot. Um, these guys that I knew from grade school are in there. And I said, no, I really want to do this. And if I'm going to do it, I'm going to go up there sober. I'm going to do it in front of people I know in the most uncomfortable situation possible. Yeah. And if I can get up there and do this and like it and have a good time, then I'm, then I know I can do it. And I don't want to feel like afterwards. I have to be drunk to do it. That's yeah. mm-hmm. Well, that's dangerous. Unhealthy. Right. Yeah. Or even just one shot. I didn't want to feel like yeah. I needed that crutch. I wanted yeah. to know that I was really doing it because I wanted to do it and I was really okay doing it. And I did. And I loved it. And um, I was a shot girl too. And I made just as much money being a shot girl as a dancer. But I loved wow. the creative freedom of being a dancer and getting to talk to all those different people, having a great time talking to just people from all different walks of life and getting up there and expressing myself. I mean, dancing, I've loved it my whole life. 
And also, I'm a Scorpio. I've got a lot of sexy energy. Oh, there you go. So I'm a Scorpio. I'm a natural flirt. I love talking to people. So So to me, it all seemed like, yeah, sure. I don't mind getting naked. I love flirting with people. Seems like a great job. (laughs) You, you know, being shot girl, cocktailing, dancing. um, Is it the Scorpio in you that, that... makes you kind of a natural at the soul seduction or is it is it these skills that you honed in with having like more intimate conversations with lap dancing or you know pedaling shots or that kind of thing I really think it came from that I mean there was something in me that was okay doing all of those things Mm -hmm. but it's so hard to put the pieces together and really really know um but yeah I mean all that time looking into people's eyes Mm-hmm. being completely naked, being overtly sexual, unapologetically overtly sexual, yeah. and being rewarded for it mm-hmm. and having a good time and making money doing that made that a lot easier for me. So even though it can still be uncomfortable sometimes with certain people or in certain situations, I'm definitely a lot you more can comfortable still, from you it. You can choose to go as far as you want though right when oh, you're yes. you know like if you know you you can if you're getting an uncomfortable vibe from someone you know you don't oh, have yeah. to you just move yeah, over to the other person right Absolutely. just yeah. d- yes. disconnect that gaze yes, you do not have to engage with people that's another thing i loved about the job is the customer is not always right in a strip mm-hmm. club at least in when i was working i can only speak for myself in my own story right. and i did work in the same club which is the hustler club now um, for over 10 years of those 15 years. Mm-hmm. And management was very good to me. And I was good to them as well. I always put on a really good show. I always did my job. I was always on stage on time. You know, there was a lot working for me as well that wasn't the case for everyone mm-hmm. and isn't the case for everyone. And it's not the case for every club. There are some really shitty clubs out there with some really shitty managers that treat the dancers horribly. And that I can't speak for. Um, I'm not going to say that those things don't exist. And I'm not going to say that nothing bad ever happened. There were times I disagreed Mm -hmm. and they heard about it. Um, But overall, I had a very positive experience doing what I did. And I wouldn't, I have no You wouldn't have been in it for 15 years if you did not. I have no regrets. Well, I mean, there's, you could do that just because you. Like the money? Don't feel like you have a, right. It's very hard to make that amount of money and without a degree or without something else. Yeah. You know, so that's why a lot of people are attracted to it. Um, But I did continue doing it because I loved it. And I honestly, I was in college for psychology, but I didn't really know for sure what I wanted to do. And everything, I've just kind of followed my heart. And um, sometime around 2001 or two, I met Katrina Dahl in the club. And I'd had dance partners before that I had that are great friends. And I'm still good friends with them, too. Mm -hmm. And but then we met. And we kind of fell in love with each other and the way each other danced. And we started dancing together. And uh, that was around the same time that I really got kind of addicted to the pole part Mm -hmm. of it and was learning everything I could possibly learn and blowing my own mind and (laughs) just wanting to see so much more pole dancing. And people don't understand, but back then, you could only see pole dancing at a strip club. Mm -hmm. And you could really only see... There were really only ever a few dancers, one or two, a handful maybe at a club that were really doing anything on the pole at that time. There were no studios where you could learn pole dancing. I know. It's crazy to there think was of nothing. Like there were no pole competitions. Like, there, YouTube didn't exist. Yeah. So there was no way to watch YouTube videos. What do you, yeah. what do you think has attributed to that change? 
Because there are studios now where, you know, you can take the class and it's an exercise class or there are it's, competitions. It's, there are comp- right. So what transpired where it, it blossomed and opened up Do you? I mean, you were definitely a part of that scene. I was, uh, yeah. Uh, Gravity Place Favorites. That was our, what our duo was called. We started performing outside of the strip club. People started telling us that it was one of the most beautiful things they had seen and that we should do it outside of the strip club. And we finally got accepted to perform at Venus Envy, which is a uh, feminist art festival here in St. Louis. I think it's even still going on, maybe. I'm not sure. Uh, But it features all women artists of all kinds. Mm -hmm. And they accepted us to come perform there. And we performed and everyone lost their minds about it. And we got a monthly gig at the venue just for us to do a show. Actually, that's how we met Lola Vanella. Oh, wow. She came to one of our shows one time because she had just, she was in a play that was also going on in the same venue and the play was over and then we were the show afterwards and she stayed in the audience and watched us and loved us and we met and we talked for hours after yeah, that. Yeah, we and love that's how We've been friends since the first day that we met. Yeah. And um, from there, things started growing and we did weird little, we've done so many weird gigs with at art shows and going up between bands. Um, so many weird things that I can't even, they were so different. They were just, because pole dancing can really, literally can fit in any kind of event that's going on. So, you know, um, in town, we have a, a group in town, El Monstero, and they inc- mm-hmm. they incorporate pole Katie dancing. Katie and I performed the first year they had pole dancers. That was us. Oh, fantastic. Because yeah. I'd love that. I'd and l- ever since then, it's been my students or your students mm-hmm. because that, in their in their production, they include, they incorporate pole mm-hmm. dancing and it's uh, just incredible. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and, and when they perform at the pageant over Christmas and those are like sold out shows, right. how many people are getting to see or being exposed mm-hmm. to the pole dancing in the art form? Like it's, you I mean it is an art. Um, it's it's not it's not just something to get men's dicks hard. It's art, right. and it was always art to us. I yeah, think that is the quote so far of the day. It is not even when it to was get, to get yeah. dicks hard. It <laughs> yeah. wasn't just to get dicks hard for me ever. Right. It was always an art form to me. Yeah. It was always a creative, expressive release of what I needed to get out of myself. It's always been that for me. And I love that so many other people are seeing that now. Yeah. But I think it's a combination of how this happened, how yeah, this explosion happened. Yeah, sure. It's a combination of uh, the internet and YouTube becoming available. Like, Fania Dietrich actually opened uh, the first pole studio in the U.S. in the mid to late 90s um, because she went to work at a club and loved the pole dancing and said, okay, so how do I learn how to do this? <laughs> I have to get And they my- said, there's nowhere to learn it. You learn it on stage, which is how I learned and she said, what? There needs to be a school for this. So mm-hmm. she learned how to pole dance, and she opened the first one. Where was her first oh. studio? I don't know. She's in Vegas now. Okay. I'm not sure if it so was there then. Someone... It's called Shine. And Shine. she is the producer of the Pole Expo, which is one of the biggest pole conventions in the world. Oh, my gosh. That's still going on now. And when when was the first one of that? Do you know? The Pole Expo? Yeah. Oh, no, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Sorry. No, that's I'm curious. I'm curious if this yeah. is like... 10, 15 and then years also, ago? Like or? around 2005, we had our first performance at the Venus Envy show in April of 2005, which is around the time that YouTube became a thing. I mean, it might have been a little mm. older than that, but mm-hmm. it started really catching on at that time. And someone took video of us at a show and they posted it on YouTube. Mm. And so we were some of the first pole dancers to be, or to have video on YouTube because Still, pole dancing was not common to be outside of a club. We were some of the first pole dancers to 
pole dance outside of a strip club. And then around that same time, Carol Helms, who's still, who's a dear friend of mine now, um, she was doing, she also worked as a dancer and had a pole at home and started doing pole dance tutorials on YouTube. Oh my gosh, okay. And that's how she got her name. And we kind of were some of the only people doing pole on YouTube at that time. Okay. And then the more people started seeing things. I mean, there were that other makes people. Sense. I don't now mean to I'm make it sound yeah. like we were the only people pole dancing. We were not. Well, but yeah. it was just one, that was around the time that it kind of started. And then when Felix Kane uh, won Miss Pole Dance Australia in 2007, her video went viral everywhere. And then people really started wanting to pole dance. Okay. And so that really, I would say, I started teaching in 2006. People started hearing about it. And the way I started teaching was actually Floored, where your mom taught ballet. Yeah, yeah. Um, the owner of Floored had been telling people that he wanted to offer pole dancing because he heard it was the next big fitness craze. And I went to Cheap Tricks one day, a really great yeah. little tattoo shop and boutique on South Grand that I've gone to for years. And they told me they knew I was pole dancing and they, because Katie and I were doing stuff by then. Mm-hmm. And told me that they wanted to offer pole dancing. And so I just walked over to Floored, introduced myself, said, I pole dance and I, I would love be, to teach. I can be your, I can be your and the he teacher. And you're hired. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> and so I had to develop my curriculum from so, making lots of mistakes and I'm, figuring it out. I'm curious. Like, what's the liability like as a pole teacher? I mean, like— you know, I mean, is this just something that people come and sign a waiver, like like skydiving, or or do you? Yeah, is we this sign something a waiver you, and I have liability insurance. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but honestly, again, knock on wood, <laughs> I'm not going to say injuries never happen. There are slight injuries that happen. Uh, you know, there are in soccer totally games, rare, but you know. bad injuries are fairly rare, and bad falls are pretty rare too. Okay. You know, people ask me how time how many times I've fallen. And honestly, considering I've been pole dancing for nearly 20 years now, there haven't been that many. And the reason is because I learned on stage, and you're trying to look good while you're doing it, while you're learning. So if you start to come out of something, you kind of just have to slide down and make it look sexy or graceful or whatever. And when you learn pole dance, I mean, we start from the bottom up, Mm -hmm. and you build on things each week after each week, and you're building your strength. Here's how you do the transition. Yes, you know, you don't go. You should not go into a pole dance class on the first day and be inverting. That's not something that should really happen. That's not safe. And so, by the time you're doing those things, by the time you're doing aerial combos, you should have enough experience and feel for the pole to know how to kind of save yourself. To know when you don't have something. Okay. Yeah. To know that this is, sure. I don't have it. I need to come out of this before mm-hmm. I fall. Interesting. So in that way, it's, and, and it's attached to the floor. Yeah. So in that way, you know, if you fall off a trapeze, you're just falling in air <laughs> to the ground. And I love trapeze. Nothing, nothing bad to say about mm-hmm. trapeze. But on pole, you can kind of, it might not be pretty and it might not be graceful, but you can kind of ball up and come back in and slide to the floor. Sure. Okay. So. Yeah. So, it's not as dangerous as it seems like it could be. So I have another question because I know there's another class you teach, the soul seduction that uh-huh. I referred to earlier, which is basically, I'm going to say it, Michelle, I fucking. I fucking. Oh. Really say the word fucking <laughs> on air. Oh. Yes, and soul, soul seduction is about going beyond I fucking into uh-huh. total soul seduction. All right, so okay. let's, let, it, let us break it down for our listeners. I fucking is equivalent to fill in the blank. Anybody? Michelle? I mean, <laughs> my feeling just, I mean, I'm guessing here 
but I'd love for you to expand. It's really, truly about connection, connection with your fellow human beings. And I fucking is the sexy side of that, Mm -hmm. I would say. The soul seduction class ranges, it kind of ranges from, it starts with authentic connection with someone across from you. And um, I go through exercises that allow you to truly see one another Uh as a human being and how we even though we're all living our own lives and we all have every, our lives are completely different from one another. We share so much in common and we all go through heartaches. We all go through grief. We all have losses. We all have illnesses. We all have these different things. Being more empathetic. Yes. It is completely about empathy and understanding that even though you don't know about it, the person across from you has been through a lot of shit too. Mm -hmm. We all have. And people really crave being seen, being truly seen and truly heard and validated as humans. This is the psychology major in you <laughs> coming out, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Yeah. And so we start with those types of things and um, have a little bit of, and then it goes into more fun things with uh, more of a soulful dancing for one another. And when you're dancing for each other, and this is floor dance. This is mm-hmm. uh, pole style, slinky, slidey yeah. floor dance stuff. And so it's about doing your dance, but coming back to the eye contact and they take turns, so you're receiving at one point, you're giving at another point, and everyone gives at some time, and everyone receives at some time. Okay. And then uh, by the end, we play Fuck, Fuck, Goose, which is <laughs> like, <laughs> oh. like Duck, Duck, Goose, only you pick the person. You sit in With a circle, and you pick the person, and you, I, fuck everyone in the circle. You dance, and I, fuck everyone in the circle, and then you pick someone, and you take their place in the circle, and they take your place in the floor. Like fun. And so it ends up being really fun. It's serious in the beginning. A lot of there are a lot of tears. Oh, even I bet. myself, even though I'm the one I'm the one leading it, I still get very tearful and emotional teaching the class. And what it comes down to is a true connection and also confidence and knowing that you are worthy to make eye contact with someone else. When you don't make eye contact, you're giving the other person authority. A yeah. lot of times it's, you know, authority figures look down on you mm-hmm. and you are afraid to give eye contact. You see it in children. Um, you see it in oh, animals, yeah. you know, yeah. and you see it in yourself sometimes if you feel intimidated by the person that's talking to you. And you give yourself power by looking them in the eyes and letting them know that you are just as worthy to be in this conversation as they yeah. are. And that's how it came to I started noticing that it was a way bigger, more profound than I had realized. I thought it was kind of fun. Let's teach people how to make eye contact and not be afraid of it. It'll be sexy yeah. fun. And then I started teaching it and realizing what a huge impact it was making in people's lives. And one of my students came to me who, I mean, she's just, she's an amazingly intelligent, so smart, so good at her job. She's also very traditionally beautiful okay. in, in the kind of way that can be an asset but can also put you in a bad situation where people try to control, especially men, especially with men. Or they think that, oh, you're just pretty and you're not smart or right. you're like— Right. So she deals with that a lot. And, uh, and she came to me in tears one day to tell me how grateful she was for the workshop because she was able to go back to work and use those techniques in their corporate meetings and wasn't afraid to say what she felt and wasn't afraid to look them in the eyes and get her own power back 
and that it worked. And she, she saw thought, a shift. She saw yes. a shift in their behavior towards yes. her. That's fantastic. Yes. Yeah, I think I'm going to sign up for the next one. I'd like to take it. I, I mean, not bad for an old stripper, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, it I could think, be worse. I think old stripper <laughs> is, is not the right combination of words there because you are far you know, it from doesn't old. Really, yeah, I don't really feel. I don't really feel that label mm-hmm. very yeah. hard either. Definitely have, you know, I yeah. take take my stripping pass with pride. I think it's, not only was it fun, but it's also a really great tool that I think is highly underestimated. Yeah, it builds a lot of other skills, and that's what I like it hearing. Like, you're I a bit, love... Everyone, you're self-employed, so mm-hmm. you, you learn your own business, yeah. and when you're smart about it, you can do really great things. And I know that, I and I see this old trope in movies about, where they kind of make fun of it, where, you know, oh, that stripper, oh, she's just working her way through college, like it's a joke or something. But I just posted about this recently. I am still friends with so many women that I worked with, and watching them now, making their dreams come true, being their own fairy godmothers, doing the things that they always did. They funded their own way through college. We don't have Mm -hmm. student loans Mm -hmm. that we're worried about yeah, because they're taken care of. We paid for them as we went. Yeah, so, you know, you've got entrepreneurship, you have empowerment, mm-hmm. you have teaching, like, human-to-human connection. Yes. And, in, you know, building empathy. intimacy and empathy. I mean, there are a lot of core skills there that are coming from that experience. I also love when you're talking about how fortunate you feel that you're able to be your authentic self. Like, you, you know, you do not have to put on a uniform and go to work and be something different than what you are. Right. And I and I think about like I when you said that I, I immediately like had this flashback to a memory of mine long long ago of working for a company, you know, that that um you know, my individuality was definitely discouraged, you know. And yeah, I, I I'm a fancy girl. Like I like to Emily dresses I dress, uh, right? Very very specific style. I mean, people like there's an Emily Lane look. I just, I'm just me, you know, but I feel, I like you, Michelle, I feel so fortunate to be able to authentically be me now because there definitely was a time in my life where I was not allowed to be in my job was at risk for doing so. And I think that's such a real shame because there's so much strength in our own individuality that our our companies that we work for, if they're just open to it, can benefit greatly from it. But so many of them are wanting to control right. each and every person and put them in this little, this is, you've got to be your, Creativity you know. Creativity flourishes when mm-hmm. people feel free. Right. And when creativity is flourishing, new ideas come about, happiness, and just, you know, that just dominoes down into so many other layers. So anyway, I think it's amazing that you've been able to build a life based on your own individuality. And I think that for women who are looking for a way to be able to express this and find this and and bring this into their day to life that don't have access to that, I think this is a really great it way is, to explore so that. It is. It's so important, especially, I mean, for everyone, but especially women oftentimes are doing so much emotional labor for other people. They're in service to other people constantly and they put themselves on the back burner so Mm -hmm. often. And they have school sometimes and work and kids and partners and all of these things, all of these people pulling on them all of the time. And 
that sometimes it's only one class a week they take, but that one hour is the one hour of their week that is just for them. They get to be them. They get to be around others mm-hmm. like them and so unlike them at the same time. And yes, this week with everything going on, I got to hear so much beautiful rage yeah. about it. Yeah. Beautiful and all, rage. all of these women talking and feeling the same ways about it and getting and, to be in a room with other women and talk about that. And I think that doesn't happen for enough people. And it's so much bigger than pole dancing, feeling strong in their own bodies instead of Mm -hmm. being worried about what it looks like all the time. It's about what it can do and how powerful you really are and how brave you really are doing something that scares the crap out of you every time. Because pole dancing, when you start to get up there and it's scary, oh my God, right? Yeah. Yeah. And these women are just, and others are just doing all of these things that scare them, but make them feel so strong and let them be them mm-hmm. and just them for an hour every week. Well, and I've got people in finals who, you know, grinding away at studying all the time. And they will still come to class. And I'm so glad that they still come to class. Not because I need their business, but because I love having them there. And they need that time release, right? to get out of their head and into their bodies and just be them. And have fun and dance. There's so much laughter and just... Silliness and dancing and fun. Silliness, yeah, that sounds great. Playful, it's yeah, playful. Yeah, it's playtime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you touched on the fact that women are in service to so many other people at all times, mm-hmm. and and I I wonder I, how we can, as you know, fellow sisters here, empower our our our, our friends, our 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 colleagues, our female our female. Um, sisterhood here on in the U.S. and Missouri in your own town to take those time for yourself. You know, why do we feel guilty? And I'm just, I'm just speaking generally. I'm not saying, you know, in like, you know, I'm mm-hmm. sure there's always exceptions to the rule, but why do we feel guilty for taking an hour to walk in the woods, to go on a hike or to sit on the park bench or to have a glass of wine by yourself at, at, a, at a wine bar. I mean, or listen to Clearly Speaking, the podcast, mm-hmm, right. you know, with everybody else out of the room. But, you know, why is it we feel like we can't, we don't deserve that That's hour right. and, yeah. or 10 hours? Or, I mean, you know, why why do we limit and to I'm an hour? And I'm not safe from that either. I yeah. feel that as well. I mean, I'm lucky that I get to do what I do so that it feels that way all the time, but I still need that too. And I still struggle with that. So I think that's a big part of my teaching too, is it's not, it's not like I'm teaching other people how to do these things that I'm have mastered. Yeah. It's, I learn so much from, from your students. the things that I say to other people. And I hear my own voice in my head telling me all the time, okay, like no, affirmation to take yourself, that yeah. advice yourself. Well, no. it's a lot easier to tell somebody else how to live their life <laughs> right. than actually, you know, live it that way yourself. You know, I'm always very, very wise when it comes to other people's oh, lives. God, I find that just even like with business consulting, like it's so easy for me to sit down and help break down like, oh, well, hey, you could do this and this and this and that. And then it's like, I just need to do the same darn thing, but like, it's just, I like, it's so hard for me to see that for myself, you know? Um, So I think it's just us being just women, you know, like we, we, we inherently care about others. I mean, I find joy in doing emotional work for others too. Mm -hmm. It's not like emotional labor. I'm not even sure how I feel about that phrase because sometimes that's a real thing. 
that should be called emotional labor when it feels like work. But so much of my job could be classified as emotional labor, but I enjoy it so much I don't like to see it that way. Yeah. You know, I think we do also get something from helping other people and helping them feel better about themselves. And that in turn makes us feel better about ourselves. Yeah. I think it's so so important to talk about real shit. I mean, so much of people's lives, it seems, are about being polite and about making small talk that doesn't matter. And people are afraid to have real conversations. And when you surround yourself with people that you can just talk about the important things with or talk about completely stupid things with and have, you know, but talk about real things, real things that matter and not surface bullshit all the time. Nor about people, right? So it's like... It, 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 there, what is that? There's an adage out there about you know, like you know, people talking about ideas versus other people and right, you know, so forth. But anyway, you know, I I definitely um, I agree with you. I think oh, that's part of the reason why we created this podcast is to have real conversations. You know, so many people bury themselves in um, escapism. You know, and it's like oh, okay, well. I'm just going to go home and watch my Netflix. I love Netflix, by the way. Yeah. I do it too. But it's it's important for if we're ever going to get past major issues like what we're facing and we talked about earlier in this podcast, we have to have greater understanding about what's going on. We have to exercise our voice. And we need to build a community to help do that. And that is only going to happen through real conversation. Yeah, I feel so much hope because of the people I'm surrounded with and just, you know, I'm just running through a 15-minute warm-up with my students and they are, these are people who've been going for a while, so all they do is follow me. I don't really have to tell them what to do. They just, they're all doing everything while they're talking about how upset they are and I think so many people don't have that. So many people don't have that. They are going to a job where they're not allowed to talk about these things and they could be surrounded by other women who are just as angry, other men who are just as angry about it as they are, but they can't talk about it at work. And then they yeah. go home and they can't talk about it with anyone yeah. either. Yeah. Right. With their spouse. And or... that is tragic to me. Mm-hmm. We all need to be able to talk about it with each other. Mm-hmm. We need that. Humans need that. Yeah. Connection. connection we need the mm-hmm. the listening we need the off you know holding somebody's opinion with respect and kindness mm-hmm. you don't have necessarily have to agree with it but you don't have to berate somebody and no. and i and i think i i feel like women have when we've raised our voices we've had one of two things happen change happens or we've been beat down and i and uh whether that's an emotional beat down or a physical beat down and it's almost like how we we just we, we continue to raise our voices so that we can make it the change. If we keep at it, it's hard, but if we can keep at it, we can keep doing good things for other people. Um, I think one of the things about our podcast and having these conversations with women like yourself is that we have listeners out there who may may not have known and oh I could do that that's that's a, a solution yes. to my problem. Mm-hmm. I mean I remember being 30, 33 years old, married. You know, pregnant with a third child, not happy, not knowing, and driving home after my day, my my work, and going, is this, is this what my life is? I didn't sign up for my life to be this way, but not. I mean, I had lost all hope. I didn't know. It wasn't. It wasn't this plan that I had in my mind as a as a twelve year old girl or you know a twenty year old girl. It was just like this is not. I can't and you do felt this. Like you didn't have control over. I it. didn't have any control. I was going along a path that I didn't recognize. I didn't want. And so you know when my husband and I split, 
I regained hope. And now, now it's like, oh, I can do whatever. And, and I joke with Emily sometimes, like, I feel like we're approaching a roundabout and there's a million choices and I want to do them all. I'm not afraid that I'll take the wrong choice. I'm afraid that, oh, I, I want to get to that one too, as well as this one. Mm-hmm. And that's exciting. And I want, I want every woman, I want every man out there, every listener to feel that excitement about their life. And there can be so much to look forward to. Right. And to find an outlet, you know, whether that outlet is pole dancing or, you know, podcasting or, or blogging or stripping. Mm-hmm. You know, or drinking wine, or drinking wine, <laughs> drinking wine with your drinking friends, wine and taking your dog and having to drink wine and, and cook. <laughs> yeah, that's and have, one of my. Oh, that's how I like to yes. wind down, relax. Mm-hmm. That yeah. really does something for me when I'm stressed out and I just can't think about the stressful things anymore. Mm-hmm. Cooking, just making big some sort of soup that I make up <laughs> while I drink a <laughs> bottle of wine yeah. is one of my favorite things to do. I love I love making soups because you can kind of just like take everything you that's really in your can. refrigerator and be like, oh, okay, yes. it's time to load that in there and there, you know. <laughs> that, that might be good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I find that some of my most uh, like rewarding evenings after having drank a lot of wine is, um, and then my, you know, I've had people over and so my kitchen's a mess and it's, oh, it's fine, it's fine. And I'm like, just go on home. And then I, I find it's easier while I'm, a little buzzed and wasted (laughs) to turn my music on really loud and I clean up the whole kitchen. I put it all away, but it's like like meditating. It's like the Mm -hmm. best thing ever. I'm sure my neighbors are like, oh, she's at it again, you know, because it's like loud (laughs) and I'm singing at the top of my lungs as well (laughs) while I'm cleaning the counter and and then filling the dishwasher. It's like, all right, now it's 2.30. I'm going to go to bed. Right. But it's all done, you know. Yeah, and you can wake up. And I don't certainly have to worry don't about do it. that at nine thirty in the morning when I'm sober. Oh, I think I'll turn the music on to you know no. hundred <laughs> on the television now, and, and let's just you know go to town. No, Maybe that's how I need to start cleaning my house. Is like I need to like have a good bottle of wine mm-hmm. beforehand and then turn my music up <laughs> and go to town, girl. It's, yeah. it, it helps. It really, it does, really help. does. I have that type of. I have a whole playlist of that type of music oh, because it works so well. Okay, so yeah. what's on the top of your playlist for it's time to clean my house? Oh, well, that varies on my mood, but yeah, I, me too. I will put on, uh, I love Brandy Carlisle. I have like so mm-hmm. many of her albums and I will sing through every one of them. I also will listen to the Buddha Bar playlist. Oh, yeah. Um, and then I really love this, uh, uh, this artist named Amy Wadge. Um, I don't know if she's, I think she's British, but she did some songs for a show called Keeping Faith. Which is a great Welsh television program. Mm-hmm. I know I'm I'm a little nerdy when it comes to my uh, my streaming choices, and I love her voice, and and so I will put put her on. And yeah, like any kind of girl punk, like especially oh, like yeah. old Riot Girl stuff. Okay, that yeah. gets me going for sure. Yeah, yeah. And there's yeah. this great song called "Get Up, Get Out" that I've been really putting at the beginning of some of my playlists, and all my students love it because I wish I could remember who it is. I have to turn my phone on. I turned it off because I was on a podcast. That's oh, right. You're so, so, you're so um, we'll, we'll look it up and we'll share yeah, a link. She's, yeah. um, it's amazing, though. She's basically telling you how magnificent you are and yelling it at you. And it just makes you feel like you can do anything in the entire world. Well, she literally says you can do anything you want. <laughs> and if you're ever having one of those days where you wake up and you just feel like, mm-hmm. I don't know about this day. Oh, sh- absolutely. This song will kick you 
There are days like halfway through the day where I feel mm-hmm. that. Like that. Generally, I don't wake up feeling it. It's usually like at two o'clock. I'm like, oh god. <laughs> so that's what I'll put on at yeah. two o'clock. There was, there was a two o'clock like. Definitely, I need a yeah. I need a little cheerleading. I think at two o'clock. <laughs> you, you need a little little this thing song of bubbly will do it for you. For sure. Okay. Good. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Michelle, um, Minxie, the Minx, the Minx. What are your plans for the rest of you know 2019? Do you have like 2020 anything you know exciting that you want to share with our listeners? Uh, oh yeah, coming up? well yeah. um, this will air in a few weeks from today. So. Well, January 2020 will be 10 years of Minx Academy, so I'm pretty excited wow. about that. I don't even know how I'm going to celebrate yet. Uh, but also we have the 12th annual Minx Pole Dance Extravaganza coming up at the end of September. And uh, so this is 12 years. And as far as I know, it is the longest running pole showcase uh-huh. in the history of the world. Oh, my gosh. Well, we're going to have That's to a make showcase. sure to go There to are that. competitions that might be leading by a year or so, give or take. Um, but, yeah, and it's always been a benefit for the Sexual Assault Victims Unit. Oh That's call for help. Stop. Yes, of call for help. Okay. Uh, so every year we give all of pro- all of our profits to that amazing organization. They provide uh, free and emergency long term care, long term and emergency care for victims of sexual assault survivors. Also, if you if it's been a while but you need help, you can go to them. Um, they also and the volunteers, I, which I did for a while as well. You can meet them at the hospital with a fresh set of clothes, make sure they know what all their rights are, especially if they end up at a Catholic hospital and they're not offering them plan B or any of those things. Mm -hmm. Um, You can make sure they know that stuff's available. Also, I don't know how it is in Missouri, but ICASA, the Illinois Coalition Against Sexual Assault, um, they will take care of the cost of the hospital visit. A lot of people avoid going to the hospital and price is one of the reasons because if Mm -hmm. they don't have insurance or they don't want to claim it on their insurance because of work. Sometimes it's a privacy issue and they don't want their job to know why they went to the emergency room. ICASA takes care of that. Uh, I think that's important for people to know. Absolutely. Well, I know that in Missouri with the YWCA as a sexual assault victims unit also, but I will I will reach out and find out what what yeah, they do here nice locally and we'll include that in our show notes Great. to have the Missouri what you know for our listeners and and listeners that are not Missouri Illinois I you can call I'm pretty much maybe reach out to Planned Parenthood mm-hmm. the Planned Parenthood in your oh, state Oh yeah and they I mean we yeah. are in contact and yeah. um, I have all of those things I was telling you about I'm posting them on the bullet condoms on the bulletin board outside of my studio so that people passing by can take them if they need them um yeah, we're doing the best we can. And one of the things I love about the extravaganza is the first year I did it, it was one night. We had 17 performers. It was the first year I'd been teaching. Just wanted to have a little showcase. Yeah. We did it at Atomic Cowboy. It sold out. Uh, I knew that it's important to pay performers for their work. Yeah. Uh, but I knew that with that many people and such a small show that I wouldn't be able to pay everyone a fair price. And it was also a student showcase. So instead of giving everyone 10 or 15 $20, which I thought is what they'd end up with, we just decided to give it all to one great cause, and this show has grown into a three-show event, three nights most wow. of the time. This year we're doing two nights, but th- still three shows, so we'll have two shows on Saturday. It's September 27th and 28th. At, it'll be at the Casa Loma Ballroom, and it features pole performers of all genders, all um, ages, all styles, mm-hmm. all skill levels. From all over the, all types. the nation? People submit from all over the country. Mm-hmm. We had over 200 submissions this oh. year. That we have to decide on, and that's going to be very hard. Um, 
plus the Minx Academy students yeah. doing yeah. their thing. And it's just this headliners from around the world. And it's just become this amazing, huge event in the pole world. And I'm so proud of it. I can't believe what it's become. And it's just really exciting. So I hope people so keep what? an eye out. It's a two-day event advertisements. now. Uh-huh. Yeah. September 27th and 28th. Well, you said you can't believe what it's become, but just sitting here talking with you twice now, you know, at the mm-hmm. tea room and here on our podcast, I it doesn't surprise me that you're having this success. And I, I'm... I mean, there are so many people that I could not do any of these things without, and I'm so grateful for all of them. Yeah. That's your Academy Award speech. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> First, I need to thank... Uh, the Pole the Academy the Award. The Academy. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, Michelle, <laughs> let us uh, like send us that information. We'll put it up there, you know, so we have links and everything on our website for uh, to help promote what's coming thank up. You. Um, I want to say thank oh, you goodness. so much. Yes, thank, thank you for you joining you. So for I feel you. so much, despite like the weight of our conversation, I feel so uplifted. Good. Yes. Me too. Yeah. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers, girl. Ooh.